If you are traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, and most certainly, men, if you're a Jewish person, you would uh, avoid the most direct route, which is Samaria, kind of in the middle. You'd, you'd take the longer route. You'd go around. To go directly through Samaria uh, was particularly dangerous. There was a lot of tension between the Jews and Samaritans in Jesus' days. In fact, they both groups considered one another unclean and not to be dealt with. Scholars have compared the tension that existed then to the ten- tension we know today between Israelis and Palestinians. So it's strange that as Jesus is journeying in our passage on John 4, that it begins by saying he's going from Judea to to, to Galilee in the north, and he had to go through Samaria, had to take the route that, that, that every Jewish person would absolutely try to and normally avoid. Shouldn't it read Jesus chose to go to Samaria, for whatever reason chose, but had to go? Well, Jesus shows up at Jacob's well in this Samaritan village, noon, hottest part of the day, and and a Samaritan woman, you heard, comes to the well. And so now you've got the two people, each group considers the other unclean. More, you have a, a man and a woman who are not married and are without anyone else around. This encounter alone is a breach of religious and social and political norms and laws of the day. Notably, women who would gather water at this well normally would gather at the early portion of the day when it's not so hot. If you are coming at the hottest part of the day, it's because for some reason or another you have been disallowed or shunned by the other women. You have done something or some things wrong. A Jew and a Samaritan, a man and a woman, a rabbi and a woman with a past. Jesus asks her for a drink. And the woman, she gets how wrong this whole picture is. How how is it that you, a a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus tells her if she only knew who he was and the gift of living water he had to offer, she'd actually be asking him for water. And the the woman uh, responds with a very literal concern about how difficult it would be for Jesus to be giving her water the well here is really deep and you don't have a bucket. She's right on both accounts. In fact, I was at this very well six years ago when I took a trip to the Holy Land with a group of pastors. The well today is found underneath this Greek Orthodox church there. Still has a usable water source down there. And when we went to the well, we took a cup of water with us and, and, and poured it and waited. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Splash. Four seconds before you hear it land. It's a deep well. Then one of the pastors of the group at the invitation of of the host, she took the bucket there and lowered it down and was able to get some water into the bucket. And then she starts to haul the bucket up. She's making it go higher and higher, but it's not long, too long before she's starting to squint her teeth and her eyes. She takes a break. It takes five minutes to get the bucket up. It's heavy. It's tiring. And I think that's something of pictures we sometimes consciously or unconsciously have of what it is to live the Christian life. Jesus offers living water, which is to say his very power, his presence, his 
his, his love, his, his healing, but to get the living water, you got to recognize it's deep in the well and you got to have a bucket and you got to work for it. I mean, you got to work for that blessing. You got to pray for that blessing. You got to show up for the blessing. You got to do some good things for the blessing. You got to be good for the blessing. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, Jesus is not offering a gift with strings attached, like pull first, let me see some genuine effort, then the gift. Let me see you clean up that life, Samaritan woman, and then let's talk about the water. Let me read a scripture with you and say a prayer with you, and then let's talk about the water needs here. Free gift. To be sure, as Reverend Harry Brown underscored in last week's sermon, free does not mean, oh good, thanks for the water, I'll do now whatever... I want to do, now that I've got a little satiation, recall Jesus promises living water. And this is key. This is a term used in Jesus' day to mean uh, running water, moving water. The free gift of water is water that's in motion. Have you ever stood along the banks of a river? And you notice how, how num- some places the water is slow and steady and smooth. And then other places, sometimes quite nearby, it's a white water. It is just so rapid and racing and full. And if you watch for a while, you'll see how uh, the river is wearing down on, on branches, occasionally breaking off entire, entirely dead branches and twigs that have fallen from nearby trees. Or you may notice the, some of the rocks can be so smooth, whether because of years of the steady, slow waters or, or, or the currents of the white water. To receive the gift of living water is to receive moving water. Sometimes the Spirit of God moves slowly through us and upon us, right? A gentle comfort. A steady, faithful pouring over some of the most hardened areas. Perhaps the movement is so slow at times it, it tests every ounce of our patience as we wonder why things aren't moving forward more quickly. Sometimes the Spirit of God rips right through our lives and starts breaking off dead branches left and right and rather abruptly, rather painfully. Sometimes you can barely keep up with how, how terrifying and disorienting God's love is. To those who've been baptized in the living waters of Jesus Christ, where are you in the river? Do the waters move slowly or furiously? Or both at the same time, different ways. The Christian life is not a bucket in which we strain to pull up the blessing, but a gift wherein we are thrown in the baptismal waters and they move. And those waters, again, they comfort, they press, they shape, they tear, they remake. And also, quite centrally, if the water's moving, then we are moving. Water, by its nature, it moves. And so we, by the fact that we're in it, we move where it's going. And now we're drawing quite near to that question about why Jesus, the living water, had to go through Samaria, had to go through the other side, had to go into enemy territory. The verb there, had, is a Greek word that's often used to talk about the divine imperative. Jesus had to go because this is God's 
design. This is a must. Crossing social and ethnic and religious boundaries is essential to what the gospel just does and and is. The apostle Paul, he got it and said kind of famously, right? There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. With Jesus, the normal divisions, the more normal dividing lines, they're gone. The gospel pulls the people across these surprising lines. Or again, Paul writes in Ephesians, Jesus has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That he might reconcile both groups, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross. Or again, if you've ever read the entire book of Acts is the narrative form of this truth. That the gospel of Jesus Christ obliterates the social and ethnic boundaries that often divide and calls together people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, calls them family in Jesus Christ. Jesus had to go to Samaria. That is central, not peripheral, because that's the direction of the gospel. That's the direction living water must move because that is the direction the gospel goes every time. And so, if you've been thrown in the free gift of living water, and those waters are shaping and molding and tearing and comforting, we should also take note that those waters are also always inevitably carrying us unto some form of Samaria or another, which may be a terrifying prospect when we begin to consider who might comprise Samaria in our time. On the final day of our trip to the Holy Land, a few of us decided to attend a service of worship at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Jerusalem. It's a church run by the Church of Scotland, founded there in 1930. And near the end of the service, the uh, two ministers who were presiding at this church uh, presided over communion. They got up, they said uh, prayers and the words of institution, then they served each other the bread, and then they, they passed back and forth this cup, and both sipped from the same cup, and, and then... The one minister takes the, the bread and the cup that they've just shared and puts it down on the ta- table and proceeds to take out a white handkerchief out of his, from, you know, beneath his robe and, and blow his nose directly over the bread and the cup as it sort of billows out to a rush. It's obvious he really thinks nothing of this. He doesn't rake a remark or a face. And then he takes his time and rubs both nostrils, makes sure we're clear. Puts the tissue handkerchief back in his pocket, picks up the elements, and heads our way (laughs) to begin serving. I look down at my row of fellow pastors. We were kind of right there in that second, third row over here. And every one of them is staring directly at the ground (laughs) with a mix of sort of wince and smile. And and I know I can read all their minds, and it's, it's, oh my. And now we're, we're going to partake. <laughs> and we did. We, we dipped the sneezed-over bread into the sneezed-over wine and, and partook as instructed. But I thought to myself as I looked down at our row, isn't it so often just how we are? Give me Jesus. Give me the bread. Give me the wine. Give me the living water. Give me Jesus. No germs, please. <laughs> This has long been the challenge for the church. We want living what we need, living water, but not so much the germ-filled people that the water inevitably moves toward because that's the gospel. 
the Samaritan woman of another religion, the sleazy tax collector, the blind or the ailing, the selfish rich people, the, the, the prisoner, the people on the other side. Or we do. We, we want to. We feel called to. We, we want to give drink to the thirsty and, and advocate for clean water. Back to Matthew 25, absolutely. But we prefer if we don't have to give a bo- to someone with a bottle in their other hand or a needle or a past or a citizenship or a party that is different from ours. And we're hardly alone. Jesus' own disciples, they want his living water. They need his living water. But they're very deeply disturbed that the water has headed in this direction. A few verses beyond our passage today, uh, we read the disciples, quote, were astonished that Jesus was speaking with a woman. Uh, Living water, you're contaminated. A woman, a Samaritan, a sinner. And yet the truth is, if the church is not moving into some sort of Samaria, If unlikely friendships or unlikely conversations, unlikely partnerships, acts of love like giving water, if those are not happening across ethnic or social, racial or generational, economic, religious lines... If that's not happening, the church does have to ask what kind of water it's drinking. Living water has to go through Samaria. Sir, give me this water, the woman cries out to Jesus, and surely she can't know what she's just prayed for, neither how deeply satiating nor nor where that water may yet move then in her life. And yet the truth is, whether we sit here today hiding from some sort of shame or past like this woman or or, or easily judgmental like the disciples, honestly, the type of germ doesn't matter. Either way, it seems all of us, we hit moments or seasons in our life where we really do just get sick and tired. Tired of trying to pull up the righteous water every day, like everyone hopes and expects we'll do. Tired of hiding our germs tired of keeping our fingers pried to a dead branch, tired of resisting all the germ-filled people we see the water is pulling us toward. And we let go. Give me this water. And the water's faithful to cleanse and satiate and move. Jesus had to go through the area designated as germ full. It's the inevitable direction of living water. Where are you on the river? Where is the church? How fast, how slow is the spirit moving? And because it's living water, we must ask, what border are you about to cross? Amen.